This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. And good morning, good afternoon on this fantastic holiday weekend, tomorrow being Memorial Day, and it is uh, here in sunny Southern California. It is just that, sunny Southern California. Uh, looking at temps are going to be going up in the 90s here. I'll get some time to, a little R&R, maybe a little pool time, and uh, get some, catch up on some reading, but uh, now it's a great day. Anyway, glad to be here with you, and I um, hope you are, too, having a uh, fantastic day or on the plan for a fantastic day. I'm sure you're going to hit the barbecues. And if you were paying attention a couple of weeks ago, we talked about some barbecue summertime hazards. I hope you were paying attention. Remember, no fatty foods, no corn on the cob, no nuts and guacamole and things that uh, can hurt your pets. Just keep a close watch on them, but do include them in the fun of the festivities and give them their own good, healthy things that they can eat while you are munching on the stuff that tastes really good, but may not be so healthy for you either. Anyway, you're live with Dr. Jeff Werber here on Pet Life Radio's Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff. And we're here for you. It is live. It is call in or join us on Google Hangouts. A couple of ways to get a hold of us. One is 877-385-8882. Write that down. 877-385-8882. Another better way to get a hold of us is to join us here live. Just click on PetLifeRadio.com. You go on to scroll down to the Ask the Vets with Dr. Jeff tab. And click on the link that Mark, our fantastic producer, has left for you, and you can join us here live. We'd love to hear from you. We'd love to see you. We'd love to see your pets. And there's no excuse because it is totally free. Free advice. What could be bad about that? Thanks to our sponsors, uh, More Than a Cone, raising awareness of animal welfare through the arts from Kong Veterinary Products. Brevecto. Brevecto is every 12 weeks of flea and tick protection in one tasty, chewable treat. Save this life microchip basically turns your microchip into a GPS. And um, who, who else? We have some others that are on the horizon to join us here and bringing these messages to you and uh, some really good stuff. Anyway, I was in, I started my week. I was in Baltimore and Washington, D.C. Well, actually, actually, it was actually Tyson, Virginia, or they call it Vienna, Virginia. And it was really cool, actually, because I was there promoting a program. It's actually, it was a merging of two programs that are a little bit different, but very similar. And those are the American Humane has a new program called Shelter to Service Program, where they will go into shelters and based on criteria that they look for, take dogs that are probably possibly destined for euthanasia and they will pull them and invest oh about four months of intensive training, maybe even longer at the price tag of about $20,000 per dog and teach them to be service dogs to assist veterans who are suffering from either post-traumatic stress or traumatic brain injury. They call it TBI. And Interesting as you, if you pay attention and listening, I'm also working with Apoquil Zoetis, who sponsors the Canine Courage Program. The Canine Courage Program linked to the youranimalinstinct.com site and the Itch Instinct quiz, where the completion of a quiz triggers a donation made by Zoetis to their Canine Courage Program, which provides healthcare assistance to, get this, to retired military and police dogs and to active service dogs assisting veterans suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome. So when you think about what shelter-to-service 
program is doing from American Humane and Zoetis's program called Canine Courage, which is supporting healthcare assistance. You have these dogs that are being taken from the shelters and trained, and then healthcare is being provided through the Canine Courage program. It was a perfect match. So since the first class of shelter-to-service dogs was being done in Baltimore, five dogs, so we decided to go to Baltimore to start promoting this fantastic program, along with, of course, Zoetis's Canine Courage and Apoquil, tying it into keeping your dogs healthy and itch-free during this crazy allergy season. So it was just, a, it was a great, so I did like, oh my God, I think I did five or four or five TV interviews, radio interviews. It was a very long day, jam-packed, starting in Baltimore the night before and then going through uh, Baltimore in the morning and then into Tyson, Vienna, and then Vienna, Virginia, and then finally to Dulles and back home to Los Angeles. So it was great. And then I have a couple of other stops along the way. I'll be stopping in the next two months. I'll be in San Antonio, Texas. So I will let you all know anyone listening from San Antonio. And then finally to Atlanta and probably go back to New York again at some point to do some more things. Oh, by the way, stay tuned. Sometime during the week, of January, excuse me, January, June 5th, either maybe on that day or or soon after, I will have a segment that's airing on the Today Show on, we've talked about this, so don't be too surprised, plastic surgery for pets. So anyway, if you'd like to uh, ask me anything, you got me here for the next 30 minutes, well, maybe 25 left, 877-385-8882, or join us live here on Pet Life Radio, Ask the Vest with Dr. Jeff Tab. Go scroll down to the Google Hangouts link and join us right here live on Google Hangouts. So as uh, you often know, we're going to talk about something today. I want to talk about, so get your questions ready, puppies and kittens and surgery. I get a lot of questions about safety issues and when, when to do things, why we do things sometimes differently in puppies and kittens. And um, I think it's uh, just for those of you who are having been faced with uh, scenarios where you have to make a decision, maybe I can give you a little insight as to why we do what we do, differences between treating something in a puppy and an adult dog, and why we do this. So anyway, first of all, perusing, as I like to do, AVMA's American Veterinary Medical Association's smart brief, there were some news items that I thought was really cool. Number one, that they found that humans breeding sled dogs over 9,000 years ago, basically the Journal of Archaeological Science, they were studying an area called Zhokov, which used to be, it's an island, that used to be attached to Siberia, but obviously, you know, as, as land masses change, it broke away. Now it's an island. And there were hunter-gatherers that would use dogs, sled dogs, and they believed they were actually breeding these dogs because they found, when they f- found and identified graves, and next to the graves of these hunter-gatherers, and based on the skulls and the anatomy of the bones, they were finding skulls that looked very similar to our modern-day Siberian husky skulls, and also wolf skulls, and believed that they were possibly doing some hybrid breeding even back then to train these dogs to have sled dogs. And interestingly, not only what I found more fascinating is that they were buried next to their dogs or their dogs are buried next to them. And I think that's really cool. So that also indicates there must have be already back then some sort of bond, some sort of attraction between the hunter-gatherer and the dog. And um, or hybrid, whatever. So I think that's pretty cool. As you know, we were talking about 4th of July and some of the tricks to provide some calming. And you have the drugs, you have the non-drugs, you have the herbs. And we talked about the calms vest, which I really, really, really like. And it's been extremely successful. 
C-A-L-M-Z. Look it up because if you have a dog coming up, you have, uh, what, one month to prepare for that 4th of July. So uh, if you want to get the comms vest. But they also, some veterinary behaviorists were testing out this thing called the Zen Crate. Now, just by the description, which, by the way, is very similar to the vest, so I kind of like it, but I'm fearful of what the retail price of this thing is going to be when it's all done. But what it includes, it's a, a crate that has an orthopedic bed, plays music, ah, just like the comms, sounds just like the comms, and has some also insulation. And um, I thought that was a pretty cool. I, again, I have no idea, but if you have a big dog, I can only imagine this thing is going to be into the hundreds. If it can come in less than that, I'd be really, really surprised. So, uh, But look out for it. The research is now just ongoing, so nothing on the market yet. The Zen Crate. Next up, as we've known, we've talked about this before, springtime when I talk about dangerous plants, but now there's some more studies about the Japanese yew. Very dangerous, very toxic, could kill very rapidly. And the good news is, and why it was, the story was repeated, that now because of this knowledge, even though apparently it's, it's an ornamental, it looks pretty good, people use it for landscaping, landscapers are no longer, well, I wouldn't say no longer using, but many, many, many landscapers are no longer using it because of the acute toxicity for pets. So I think that's really cool. Now, this is an interesting story, and, I, and what it caught my eye about this was just because talking about the American Humane Shelter to Service Program, there was a pit bull that was brought into a shelter in Ohio, and this dog they deemed non-adoptable. And as we all know, I don't have to get too graphic, what happens to dogs in general, let alone pit bulls, that are non-adoptable. But the shelter director noticed this dog had a very keen drive. It was like a finding, a focus on finding items. So he thought, well, maybe this dog, maybe there's a chance for this dog as a working, a service dog. So he brings in the police department, local police department, and it turns out they were watching this dog. P.S., they brought in a trainer, trained this dog, and now this dog is the one of the official drug dogs from the police department here in Ohio. It's the first pit bull that's been being used as a canine in the canine unit in Ohio, in anywhere in Ohio. So I thought that was really cool. So... Don't give up on those pit bulls because they are fantastic dogs. Next, speaking of service dogs, here's another cute story. A Labrador retriever trained to detect the highs and lows of blood glucose, which, again, it doesn't surprise me considering the amount of nasal receptors they have in their noses. They're smelling things that we don't even think a smell exists. And for a 16-year-old kid named A.J. Schalk, and he has diabetes, and he has a service dog who's there to help him monitor his blood sugar. Anyway, in the high school yearbook, guess who's pictured right next to AJ? His dog. So, uh, yes, he, and the, the principal says he is, he's just like one of the students. He's here every day. Everybody knows him. He's well-behaved, and uh, that's pretty cool. So, uh, yep, he has his own picture in the yearbook. And um, also, not super surprising to me, the more I work with dogs, it's like I'm no longer impressed. Not in a bad way. It's just that it's like, oh my God, here's another thing that we learn about dogs that are just, it's so fascinating. So the study out of Hungary, surprised they're doing studies like this in Hungary, but anyway, they are. Um, there's, there are a couple of vet schools there that dogs can differentiate between different growling sounds. And they don't even have to see the dog doing the growling. They can actually, just by nature of the sound, determine whether it's a friendly growl and, you know, this is a, I'll tell you a story in a minute, but friendly growl, a self-protective growl, or a food-protective growl. Now, I have a, one of my dogs is a Labradoodle, 
And he is so food protective. If another one of the other, I have five dogs. If one of the other dogs goes near him, even within two or three or four feet while he's eating, as he's eating, he doesn't, they won't stop him from eating. But all of a sudden you hear this. He's like, don't come any closer. And um, so, no, I thought that was uh, it's amazing. But I alluded to something interesting there. Anyone, anyone out there have a Rottweiler or had a Rottweiler? I mean, back in the 80s, this was a dog that was like in the 40s on the AKC list of, of popularity dogs. And it got down to 11 or, or 10. I mean, it, was, it had its heyday. They were one of the most popular breeds back in the 80s. Everybody had Rottweilers. Great dogs. Great protective dogs. You know, protection dogs. Good watch dogs. Really good with families. But let's face it. It could be a pretty aggressive dog, which is why they're often used in police work and military work, etc. Anyway, one thing about the Rottweiler is they have a happy growl. And people that don't understand the difference between a happy growl and a not so happy growl. So here's this. I would have you know, Rotties that would come up, put that literally big dogs. They'd be jumping up on me, putting their paws, their front paws on my shoulders. They were big and they were licking me in the face. And as they're licking me, they're going, Argh. And you're like, are you nuts? Where you're sticking your face into a Rottweiler's face is growling, but it was a happy growl, and uh, you have to know the difference. And then um, there's a company that is uh, called Animal OrthoCare, and uh, again, this is I think it's based in Virginia. You got to look it up because I, I couldn't find it. It's Animal OrthoCare. It was a human, a guy, a human, of course, a guy that makes prosthetic devices for people, and he was asked by a friend colleague of his. Uh, years ago, who's a veterinarian, could he make a prosthetic device for a dog? So P.S., he goes in and does it. He's done over 10,000 prosthetic devices now for dogs. And he's also done some large animals. In fact, there was a little video I saw. He did one on an elephant, on an elephant's front leg. So that is really, really cool. And one last thing is there is a very severe parasite called toxoplasmo. Toxoplasmosis uh, it is, comes from cat feces, transmitted. I'm sure you've heard about it. Anyone who's been pregnant should know about it. Do not. Do not do any gardening. Do not clean the litter without gloves if you are pregnant because of potential for severe birth defects and also immunosuppression. But they also, there was a story that toxoplasma was related to psychoses and other mental illnesses in people, which was a little stretch. P.S., the final is in, the final results are in by research. There is no connection between toxoplasmosa, Gandhi, and to mental health in people. Anyway, time for that break time. So don't go away. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about some differences in how we handle puppies versus adults when it comes to anesthesias and why we do certain surgeries on puppies that we don't do on adult dogs, etc. So don't go away. We'll be right back here. Pet Life Radio is Ask with Dr. Jeff. Don't go away. We'll be right back, right after these messages. Stay tuned. I love cleaning the litter box, said no one ever. Luckily, there's World's Best Cat Litter, the litter that promises less mess with less litter. Only World's Best Cat Litter uses the concentrated power of corn to quickly trap odors in tight clumps. And quick clumping means you never have to chisel or scrape the box. Less cleanup with less wasted litter? That's a litter bit amazing. Save $2 on World's Best Cat Litter. Visit www.saveonworldsbest.com. Molly, here's your dinner. Zeus, that's not your food. Don't let that happen to your precious cat. Elevate your cat's eating experience with the Cat Tree Tray. The Cat Tree Tray keeps your cat's food off the floor and conveniently located on the cat tree. It's the perfect way to eat. 
It's a beautiful wrought iron tray that easily attaches to your cat tree and keeps dogs and other critters out of your cat's dish. A must for multi-pet households. There's a 6-inch tray for large bowls and a 4-inch tray for smaller bowls. Purchase your cat tree tray today. Go right now to CatTreeTray.com. That's CatTreeTray.com. C-A-T-T-R-E-E-T-R-A-Y.com. PetLifeRadio.com And welcome back. You're here live with Dr. Jeff Werber. You're here the host on Pet Life Radio's SMS with Dr. Jeff and in the Oh, nine minutes or so remaining. I want to talk about a couple of things. So I get a lot of questions. We talk about like surgeries and, and when and why to do and anesthesia and puppies and kittens, et cetera. And, and first of all, understand that, yes, many times we need to anesthetize. And we have, trust me, everything is, is done very safely. We, you know, now the modern anesthetics are amazing. The monitoring equipment is amazing. I mean, it, it's, you, you wouldn't not do a, a life-saving surgery or a major surgery if needed on a baby who is premature. They do it all the time. So it's, it's really no different. So, of course, when you think about the basic surgery, the first probably the first surgery you're going to do on a young dog or cat is going to be their respective spay or neuter. Many of the shelters and, and rescue groups are doing them very early. They call it early spay neuter. I am not a fan. I'm not not a fan because of the anesthesia. That they do well. It's a practicality issue. And there are many, many things we're learning now that are attached as potential issues with early spay neuter. The first of which in small breeds of dogs, especially, we have a problem called retained deciduous teeth. These are baby teeth that haven't fallen out on time. The adult tooth does erupt, does come through the gums, supposedly to push the baby tooth out of the way and replace it. But instead, it comes in alongside that baby tooth and the associated baby tooth. And they're both there. We have double teeth. Of course, now we have to pull the baby teeth. Well, and of course, that's going to require anesthesia. So when you have this problem, you won't know you're going to have the problem until they're at least five and a half to six months of age or even a little older. Well, if you neutered, spayed that or neutered that dog and knocked him out at three or four months, and then your dog has retained baby teeth. What? Guess what? You got to do a second anesthesia a month or two later. That is really just dumb. So no, unless it's a situation from a shelter where it's got to be done because they know from experience and they're right that even though people are given vouchers for free, I'm free, no money, spay neuter when they're a little bit older. Guess what? People don't do it. So I get from that perspective why the shelters and the rescue groups are doing it. But in a home situation, do not, I repeat, do not let anybody talk you into early spay neuter. Wait until all the teeth are in and go from there. Now, two other problems that are now associated with early spay neuter. One, of course, is the, the story we hear, especially with females in spays, is urinary incontinence. And it is believed that that early exposure to the female hormones will help prevent these incontinence issues later on. So therefore, since there's really no major benefit, there is a, one advantage to early, or I shouldn't say early, like early at four months, but early, like six months, once you know that the teeth are in and you could pull the baby teeth if you need to, but there is a link between mammary tumors, mammary cancer, breast cancer, and earlier spay neuters such that they feel 
for spaying that if you spay a dog prior to a first heat, you're typically around seven months of age. So you can knock him out at six and do the, uh, well, you could if you wanted to, but I wouldn't. If you want to do it early, then wait until about just before seven months, six, six and a half months. Now, by this time, all the teeth are in, you'll know which baby teeth need to be pulled. You could spay neuter and virtually eliminate the risk of breast cancer in the female, about 98%, 97% risk reduction. If, however, she has her first heat, and you spare after first heat, but before the second, you still get a very large risk reduction, 88 to 90%. So that's pretty good, especially when you think of the other side of the coin is the urinary incontinence issue later on. For large breeds, there's a new problem out there, and that is the bone cancer. So large breeds that are at risk for bone cancer, and almost every large breed, I mean, retrievers, uh, rotties, shepherds, you name it. The study was done on Rottweiler, but there's no reason to think that it's only a Rottweiler thing. But there was a tremendous increase in incidence of bone cancer later on in life in males that were prepuberly neutered, about 65% greater incidence, and females that were prepuberly spayed, about a 35% incidence increase. In. So now you got to weigh all this stuff together and make the best decision. Talk to your veterinarian. Feel free to get a hold of me if you have any questions about this at drjeff, drjeff at petliferadio.com. Now, here's another thing that we're often, many of you have had kids that have broken an arm. It's very common, Okay. And what do they do? The doctor puts a cast on. If the break is, if it's easy to achieve apposition, the two bones in the leg, if you have the radius and the ulna, ulna often does not break. So you, you can use that as an internal splint and you put a cast on. And yet, when it comes to small breeds, young dogs that are still growing, your doctor, your veterinarian might recommend surgery and say, why, why don't we need to put a cast on it? If it was a larger dog, you would just do a cast. And there are a couple of things to be concerned about. One is the breed size and the bone size? And two, is there still growth left in the bone? And here's what happens. If you put a cast on, first of all, let's assume for a second that you can achieve a good apposition, a good alignment with the two pieces of the bone on each side of the fracture. So you can line it up pretty well. So a cast would work. But you got to ask yourself, if you have bones that are still growing, we worry about what's called fracture disease, because you're going to get some problems where that joint is going to freeze while it's in that cast for the you know six weeks. And as the bone grows, it's pushing up against that cast, which is not growing. So if one is going to do that and you have good opposition, I always recommend checking that cast weekly, taking an x-ray. And if you, what I do after the second week typically is I will slice the cast almost like a bagel, cut it, and then allow for some regrowth, re-room, right? And then apply it back on with just some good type of either elasticon or vet wrap, a bandaging material that will keep that leg sturdy. And then maybe after the fourth week, take the top half off. Now, what about small breeds? And this has happened a lot, and it's happened to me even, where because of financial issues, the owner can't do the surgery, can't afford the surgery, and I'm able to achieve really, I mean, the post-op, post-x-rays after reducing the fracture look fantastic. And I say to the owner, look, this should heal because we have great alignment. Everything is perfect. We're keeping the dog in a cast, whatever. And we're watching and watching and watching, and the bone is not healing. If anything, the ends are getting thinner and thinner. And what's happening there is because the blood supply in some of these very small dogs, and I'm talking Pomeranians, Papillons, Yorkies, I mean, really these teeny little dogs is compromised, and especially with the fracture, that you need, a, I mean, obviously you need the bones touched, but you also need a good blood supply, and it's very hard to achieve that stability. Another thing that you might look at, a, if the fracture is too clean, that, believe it or not, could be bad. It's almost like if somebody took a bone saw and cut the bones. Now you have these two pieces that are both flat, okay? 
So what's happening is, yeah, you can put them in a cast and prevent this, but what's going to prevent this? So what happens is if there's nothing to prevent the rotational instability, which what happened now, if you have fractures that are jagged and you can reduce it, now the pieces are stuck to each other, right? So that can also prevent. So if your cast will prevent the movement this way or this way back, but and the jagged edges will prevent the rolling, then it could work in a cast. But if it's too clean a fracture, it often won't work. So the point is that there's a lot to think about. We have to think about the growth potential. Is there still growth going on in the bone? We have to think about freezing a joint for a long period of time called fracture disease and what's going to happen after that, especially in a growing dog. We have to think about the ability to not only handle the lateral instability, right? But also the rotational instability. So these are all things that have to be concerned. So you can't always say, because you can't tell a dog, okay, you, I don't want you to do this or put them in a sling as we would do with people. So it is often different when treating a dog and treating a person with some things. So when it comes to fractures, listen to your veterinarian, listen to the suggestions. If you have any questions, uh, you might want to talk to a boarded uh, surgeon, a board certified veterinary surgeon and kind of go through the pros and cons. Or sometimes what I'll do is I will tell a con, look, if money's a real issue, we could try this. No promises, no guarantees. And I, we try to go through all this stuff with them. Many times it works and sometimes it doesn't. And then we end up having to do the surgery anyway. But sometimes, yes, yeah, is it worth a couple hundred bucks to save a couple thousand bucks? So um, anyway, there you have it. Thanks for joining me here on this wonderful Sunday of a three-day Memorial Day holiday weekend. We hope you have a great time. Hope wherever you are. It's nice and sunny. If you're going to barbecue, which I'm sure you're going to do one of these two days, we all do, um, make sure you keep your pets safe. Once again, thanks to More Than a Cone, Kong Veterinary Products, More Than a Cone, to Save This Enough Microchip, uh, Brevecto, uh, Flea and Tick Prevention. And you were here live as I'm signing off uh, from uh, with Dr. Jeff Werber from Pet Life Radio's Ask the Dr. Jeff. And we will be here next week. If you have any subjects that you want to talk about, please Send me a note to drjeff, drjeff at petliferadio.com, and we will have some subject matter to discuss next week. Thanks a lot. Thanks for joining me. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com. <laughs>